Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here. Just a quick reminder to subscribe wherever you do listen to the podcast. Throw a rating on there if you would like to, you know. You do what you like. You live your best life. Um, get in touch with any questions, comments, or concerns. egraney at postmedia.com or I'm easy to find on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. You can also shoot me over pictures of your dogs or cats or, you know, good chocolate cake recipes. I will take any and all of the above. Enjoy this week's episode. <laughs> Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the School's Back edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell, I'm the news editor at the Journal, and I'm here just this week, filling in for Emma Graney, who has been robbed of her usual lovely podcast voice by a cold. Don't worry, she'll be back next week. And I have excellent company with me this week to keep me on track. To my left, in our new studio setup, I have Graham Thompson, Provincial Affairs columnist. And I am always to your left. I guess maybe. I'm kind of center. I'm pretty much a center kind of person. Uh, and to his left, Paula Simons. Yeah, well, that's, 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 that's probably slightly more accurate. <laughs> City columnist. And Claire Clancy, provincial affairs reporter. Hi, Sarah. A little later, Janet, French education reporter, is going to be joining us to catch us up to speed on an announcement that uh, David Egan made as well this week. But first, we want to talk about the first week of session. The moment that we've all been waiting for, at least I was waiting for, after months of buildup, Premier Rachel Notley and Jason Kenney, UCP leader, not leadership candidate anymore, actual leader, faced off in the House uh, first question period of the legislative session. And uh, I've been waiting for this. And I know you've been waiting for this, Graham, Claire, Paula. What what happened? Was it the fireworks we'd been expecting and hoping well, for? Well, the funny thing is, last Friday we were asking what was going to happen on Monday, and Claire said it'd be uh, civil. I said civility and decorum, and it was. <laughs> it I mean, was. it was actually very uh, civil. At least the first few question periods. Yeah, and this is this is Kenny has put it's the so order disappointing. out to his people, his caucus. You're not, not going to applaud or thump your desks. Occasional hear here is okay, but was there, was there some hear hearing? <coughs> yeah, there was yeah, okay, occasional okay. hear here, but that's it. I made a point of saying that he will bring you know bring civility and decorum to the house. Now his questions are just as pointed, just as sometimes you know um, uh, political, of course. But the opposition was being really, really quiet, and the government MLAs, you know, they were applauding, they were thumping their desks. At one point, they gave Notley a standing ovation just for answering a question. But the <laughs> opposition just sort of sat there very quietly and this was Kenny saying to them, we will bring civility and decorum and none of this fake applause and fake thumping of desks. And I think this is also showing the control he has over his caucus. They're all saying yes. Also, it's just showing that the discipline he brings to politics. You know, he's done so well the last two years, coming from basically outside to becoming now leader of the, the new official opposition, the UCP, and he's using that same discipline to take this forward. He's just moving this train forward like one kilometer at a time to the next election. Okay, so he showed that, that the caucus would follow his instructions, that they would take his, uh, take his lead, but how did he do in terms of asking questions and getting noticed and stealing the spotlight from the NDP and the government and the many, many things that they've been announcing this week? 
Well, he, I think uh, he's still getting used to the part of the procedure a little bit, but um, generally, I like most of the questions were kind of what everyone expected. So really heavy on the carbon tax. Um, he hammered down on that repeatedly in multiple question periods. There have been some really great back and forths between the premier and uh, the UCP leader uh, this week, especially yeah, with pipelines, carbon tax, all the issues that, that we've been gearing up for. See, I, now, I, I have to confess here, I... I'm a traditionalist. I'm more conservative than Jason Kenney when it comes to how you should behave in the Legislative Assembly. And I think the banging on the desks and the hooting is part of the great parliamentary tradition of the Westminster system. And I think if you just sit there and don't make any noise, I mean, I suppose it's potentially an effective strategy if you wrong foot the government and make them look like they're overeager and immature. But I'm, I confess myself somewhat disappointed. Mind you, I am mindful of the fact that many, many, many a party leader has said that this is what they were going to do, and after about three or four weeks, it tends to unravel, because the WWF format of question period is part of its ineffable charm. Well, what we know is this is going to be the most civil the question period will be this session, (laughs) is this week. This week, week, absolutely. (laughs) It's interesting as well. Is question period meaning that the opposition or regular MLAs get to question the government, the cabinet. But Notley is throwing questions back at uh, Jason Kenney and the UCP. You know, what's, what's your position on climate change? Do you believe in climate change? So you got the opposition asking questions to the government and you have Notley then just throwing questions back at Jason Kenney on the issue of climate change. And of course, two different arguments here. Kenney's arguing against the carbon tax, the fiscal issue, and Notley's arguing in terms of the environment and her carbon tax, part of the climate leadership plan to help deal with uh, the climate change and, of course, helping to get a pipeline built. So you see they're arguing the same topic from completely different directions. Yeah, and I mean, Kenny, had a, Kenny had a great little quip uh, with that in question period where he said, um, Premier, are you auditioning to be the leader of the opposition? Because she was asking because so many questions. Uh, right, and that was a great uh, quip. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I I want to know, because Graham has been asking Jason Kenney the same question over and over and over this week, and he's been doing the improve your word power answer. Yeah, on climate change. So does Jason Kenney believe in man-made climate change? Yeah, he gives an answer that says basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, yes, I believe in the consensus that humans are playing a part in driving climate change. Although he doesn't say humans, he has a special, special word. Anthropogenic. um, (laughs) That's a mouthful. of... Yeah, and it's, yeah they, anthropogenic, it, which means made by people, but it allows yes. you to not say that. But he, yeah, he's saying anthropogenic uh, climate change. I believe in the consensus that we're playing a part, but we don't really know. There's a difference of opinion just how much we're driving it. And by the way, that carbon tax from the NDP is so bad. So he'll take everything and go back to the carbon tax. Yeah. And, and the thing is, so this is this is an argument that we're seeing from people who don't want to do anything on climate change. And mm-hmm. that is, we don't know if we're really driving it 100 percent, 50 percent, 10 percent. We don't know. In fact, of course, scientists, the experts, are saying, in fact, we are driving uh, climate change. We are the, the main cause, if not the only cause, um, in terms of what's happening with climate. But also, um, I was talking to Kenny in a scrum about this, and he brought up the name uh, Bjorn Lomberg, a Danish uh, political scientist, not a climate scientist, and he's been arguing, he's written a book, uh, and he's been arguing basically the governments should be focusing on other issues like world hunger and AIDS and malaria as opposed to focusing on climate change and getting uh, questionable results. 
let's put our money into other areas to actually help people. Now, he actually, Lomberg actually believes climate change is real. We're driving it. But he questions whether we can be really effective hmm. in actually I mean, I, I, in fighting I think, it. I think that's a fair question. I mean, I think it's a fair question to ask whether anything we do as a minor public policy change can actually slow the pace of climate change and whether public policy should be directed more towards helping us cope with the almost inevitable results thereof. But that's not the same thing as saying there shouldn't be a carbon tax. Right. And so the thing, of course, and again, fine. So you're against the carbon tax, Jason. Okay, what, what is your climate plan? Mm-hmm. How are you going to address it? You, know, you believe it's a, it's a problem, anthropogenic, man-made climate change is real. What are you going to do? And he says, well, stay tuned. We'll have and something coming up next year. Maybe we should have called year. this the anthropogenic issue. The anthropogenic. An- anthropogenic. And it'll yeah. be interesting to see at the policy convention if that, you know, what comes up with that. Because we did, like, we did ask um, Kenny as well, would you be concerned if members of your caucus didn't believe in climate change? Which they don't. Some of them have actually been very clear right. about that. And he, you know, he basically didn't answer the question because he said it was a hypothetical at this point, which... <laughs> Not very. Well, it's not. So one question I had for you folks who watch more carefully than I did was, did this series of question periods in this first week tell us anything about the United Conservative Party and Jason Kenney that we didn't already know? I mean, I, kn- I know that they don't like the carbon tax. I know that they support the Trans Mountain Pipeline. But, you know, what I was kind of waiting for was... And maybe it's because of Wild Rose, when they were in opposition and they existed over the years, conditioned me to kind of in that first week of session have some kind of bombshell question, like a line of questioning on a topic that I didn't expect and it would surprise the government and it would and it would do that kind of thing and catch everybody off guard and steal focus and headlines. And I wasn't sure that that was actually accomplished this year. But yeah, do, do we know anything different now than we did a week ago? Well, the... I think it really has been all about the carbon tax. The only other line of questioning that was kind of interesting was uh, Nathan Cooper uh, was questioning about the new uh, the privacy commissioner investigation into emails. Mm-hmm. So I think that will, or into, sorry, John Heaney, which is not least former chief of, chief of staff, um, over his involvement in a freedom of information request in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that will become potentially more of an issue as an investigation goes forward. That was kind of the only new issue that came up this week, and it wasn't actually new because there had been the previous email investigation. Right, bringing the bringing the new development to the fore kind of thing. Okay. Well, yeah, but I think the other challenge that Kenny faces, I mean, you talk about Trans Mountain, Sarah, so, I mean, we know he supports Trans Mountain. Who else supports Trans Mountain? Everybody else supports Trans Mountain. And so I thought it was interesting that, you know, uh, Kenny had been saying for weeks before this, oh, we need to have, we need to have some kind of motion. So they had some kind of motion, mm-hmm. and they got unanimous support, which is a pretty rare thing for for any legislature anywhere in the country to have every single member uh, support something. and But, okay, so fine. So everybody in the legislature supports the Trans Mountain Pipeline. That was nice. Yeah, I guess so it was like, wh- like a little bonding did- exercise, but I don't see how that advanced either the odds of getting Trans Mountain built or advanced, advanced Kenny's own agenda. So, yeah, did that debate, uh, that first that first debate that took how, how many days, Claire? Um, it, was, it ended up over t- three days yeah yeah passed did, on the third day did that ac- what what did Rachel Notley and the, and the NDP want to accomplish with that and did it do what they set out to accomplish yeah well I mean their whole what um, government house leader Brian Mason kept saying and the premier you know it was a chance to have kind of a united front on the pipeline issue but in reality I mean everyone knew that all the MLAs were in support of having the Trans Mountain built. So, I mean, Graham can probably speak more to the inner workings of what the p- political kind of optics yeah, what would look here? like this on that. Back to Kenny demanding an emergency debate, you know, a month or so back in January, and the mm-hmm. premier said, "No, there's no need for a debate." 
because we all agree on it. But then, of course, right before the session began, the government announced it was going to have a motion to debate the issue of the, the pipeline as a way to steal the thunder of Jason Kenney. There was some question over the wording because the wording said, you know, be it resolved that we support the uh, government of Britain's fight on, on the pipeline. Well, the UCP thought, well, hold on, we don't support your fight. You're not, you're not fighting hard enough. Mm. You know, then so they want to change the wording, you know, to we support your efforts, you know, so far basically, but you're not doing enough. Well, of course, the government shot down the amendment and um, they actually went ahead with the, the, the motion saying that we support the government's fight. And that's because... So yeah. it's, it's good, you know, that, that Rachel Notley has all the opposition saying they support her. How charming. Exactly. And the thing is, okay, fine. So they all support, basically, in, in theory, the government's efforts on, on the pipeline. Whoopee. But this was the, the government did this to steal thunder from Jason Kenney. So they brought up the motion, not Jason Kenney. Right. And it's just like uh, other things, you know, it's like... Um, the premier talking about uh, you know the, the the wine boycott, for example, and getting tougher, uh, maybe sh- turning off the taps potentially to BC or the rest of Canada. That was something that Kenny brought forward, and of course she is adopting it as her own idea and and giving credit to Peter Lougheed, not to Jason Kenny. So this is all about one-upmanship, and this is all about stealing the agenda, and of course uh, we had, uh, and of course Kenny's fighting back by bringing in this uh, private member's bill. Uh, you know, that he brought in yesterday. So I think that they're all doing this one-upmanship as to who can grab the agenda. And what does that private member's bill propose? Uh, so basically it proposes um, that if the if ever the carbon tax would increase in price or if it was cancelled and then reintroduced, that um, it would have to go to a public referendum um, for any of those changes to happen. It's not realistic that it'll pass because it's a private member's bill from the opposition, but um, but yeah, basically it's uh, kind of the UCP's attempt to rally support around kind of what they continue to call this job-killing carbon tax. Yeah, right. it's, it's, it's tricky though. I mean, you know, there's new, new numbers out this week that show job creation is way up, and particularly in Edmonton, uh, where family household income is, I think those numbers showed the highest it's ever been. I think that line plays better in Calgary, which is, of course, I guess where Kenny needs it to play. But, you know, his, his other strategy this week, which I thought was really wrong-footed, was to insist that he wanted a rider put on Notley's motion, saying that, you know, and they're calling on the federal government to use a, a clause under the uh, Constitution to force the pipeline issue. But as many different academics have pointed out on Twitter ever since, both you know economists and constitutional law experts, the passage that Kenny's talking about refers specifically to projects that are within the boundaries of one province. The fact that the Mammoth Mountain Pipeline is interprovincial means that 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 clause of the Constitution doesn't apply. It's superfluous. Right. So I mean, he's expending a lot of energy. I mean, I don't know whether this is an attempt to make his base think that he's got some secret strategy that the NDP have missed, but what he's actually proposing as a as a as a leverage point doesn't exist. Hmm. And I think that's exactly what he's doing is that he's playing to an audience. And this is Klein did the same thing. Klein would say, I'm gonna go to court and fight the GST, I'm gonna fight mm-hmm. against same sex marriage when in fact the courts have made the decisions on on these things. Um, but he did it because it played well to the base. So you can get really angry and go out there and talk to your base and say, I'm going to fight this tooth and nail, I'll, I'll, and I'll demand that they bring in, you know, uh, invoke section 9210 yeah, 90, 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. C. Yeah. And experts can say, eh, that's ridiculous. But 
your audience is not constitutional experts. It's just the average person who's angry at the government, angry at carbon tax, angry at BC. They're angry, and he can say, I've got a solution here that can get things done. Yes, it's kind of technobabble. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very cynical approach, but the thing is, it works. Yeah. It can work. I, I, mean, I suppose the flip side of that is Notley's announcement this week that uh, unless just Justin Trudeau starts knocking heads together and gets a pipeline built, she's not going to allow the federal carbon tax. And I thought, ah, okay. Uh, yeah, well, we, I mean, Claire well, and I she, had a discussion about yeah. this. because She did you, that in 2016. Yeah, said. okay. So it's, this has been a repeated thing from Rachel Notley over the last couple of years. But it's, she hasn't said it very often. Yeah, and so. this okay. week she said it twice in question period. So it's definitely a message that they're reiterating. So they're, they're bringing it back. They're resurrecting right. a 2016 theme. So they're saying okay. it's not just good enough to get something approved. Mm-hmm. It must get actually under construction. And of course, then you get back to the same problem. Fine, if you were to say no to the federal... Um, carbon tax, and you're sort of going into where, where uh, Jason Kenney is going. Exactly. Um, now, th- now, by him saying he wants to bring in a referendum to stop, uh, have a vote on anything dealing with um, a rise in the carbon tax, well, um, yes. But the thing that right now, the Alberta government is with the, the federal government saying that we have the power as a government to say yes or no to your climate plan yeah. federally. If you put it to a referendum, then, you, then you're losing that that tool. Yeah. The public what was the last provincial referendum in Alberta? I was trying to remember oh what that was. So we were having this discussion as a press gallery, trying to f- remember and or f- figure out. Um, a long time ago. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that we came up with, we think maybe in the 1960s, late 1960s, over daylight savings. Ah, See, yes. <laughs> how, how topical, how timely. Uh, <laughs> as we all still shake our heads and try and wake up for this <laughs> time change. quickly yeah. say, you know, when... Again, bringing in a law to say there should be a referendum, it's not really a law, because the governments can scrap the laws they bring in. You think back to um, Klein brought in a law that the province could not run a deficit, Mm -hmm. which was a law until Stelmack said, (laughs) all in favor of repealing that law, okay, the law's now done. But but you have to go through the optics. In order to do that, you have to be willing to endure the optics of undoing that law. So there is, you know, there could potentially be a, a moral hazard. Yeah, yes, it's, but it's, it's, not, not, it's not a legal thing. When yeah. a province brings in a law that they brought in, they can change that law very easily. Yes, that's yes, absolutely. So highlights and lowlights. What would you folks say were the highlights of the session or lowlights? I think we should talk about the um, comment that Economic Development and Trade Minister Darren Billis made <laughs> yes. at the um, and Alberta and, and Urban Municipalities you, you Association. I, go for it. Say yeah. it. I won't bleep it. Graham, I'm not going to do the honors. Okay. <laughs> so, so I mean, I don't know the, so I don't have the exact phrasing, but he was there. He uh, said speaking to the Alberta Urban Municipality Association uh, at a, <clears throat> you know, talking to the group of assembled mayors and councillors and uh, talking about his counterparts in BC and uh, and basically called them shitheads. Yeah, called them shitheads. Yeah, in an off the in a kind of <laughs> off the off the cuff comment. Yeah, just, yeah, and uh, and and so how did that play? Our colleague Lee Stolte was there, and I know diligently added that to her list to the to the story. Well. I, yeah, so what ended up happening was uh, Billis fairly quickly apologized and said that it was a poor choice of words. Um, so he <laughs> <laughs> he took that back. But it wasn't, wasn't. Um, but I thought I just thought there was a little bit of irony in it because um, we had the we had the issue a week ago with Derek Fildebrand saying you know politics is full, full of, of bullshit. Yes, and um, House Leader Brian Mason scrummed on that and said, well, I wouldn't use that word in front of a microphone. And then his you know. <laughs> 
and then a week later, one of the NDP minis- cabinet ministers, you know, says something similar. I just thought that was a bit ironic, but yeah. Um, but I think yeah. I mean, we were talking about this. I I don't know that it looks necessarily bad for the NDP to use that term. I'm sure people may rally around it. Yeah, and I think yeah. you're right. I think that people yeah. when they people are angry in Alberta, and apparently according to polls, like. 75% of Albertans support the pipeline and want it to get built and they're getting frustrated. And so when Notley brought in the wine boycott, it seemed that her popularity went shooting up. People thought, good for her. So when you actually hear an, an NDP minister calling the people in BC... And not his, his fellow NDPers exactly, across the border. He's calling the government there a um, bunch of shitheads. Uh, We're just going to go on saying it. Well, that's, well, I, I'm not, no, because before it was bullshit, now it's shitheads. <laughs> Poor Sarah. <laughs> I said you could say it. What? <laughs> now we're going on Sarah, and on. Sarah's boys are not going to be allowed to listen to this podcast. No. I think the fact that um, he said it, well, I think appealed to people who are really frustrated thinking, yes, this government actually does have our backs and they are, actually are angry at their fellow NDP um, uh, members in government in BC. So maybe they are sincere about doing something. With and and, and really, what's Kenny going to say? Oh, I support civility and decorum. I mean, I mean, you know, Mr. Civility. <laughs> are there and consequences can't exactly though? Like react. when you when you talk about your your colleagues in another government like that, another government where frankly you're trying to get them to play ball. Uh, does it does it will it, does it have any consequences on that side of things? I, I remember when uh, somebody called Thomas Lukasik, we found out a nasty name back in the. Oh, uh, who was who, who, and who was that asshole? Yeah, I mean, and, oh wait, who, who was that? Was that? Uh, oh wait, was that hmm. was that Jason? <laughs> Jason Kenny Jason in Kenny. an email to his email, colleagues. That did got widely circulated by the thanks to, thanks to the that, send all button. That did exactly endear uh, those you know those folks yeah. to each other Claire, Claire in future that. conversations, right? I mean, it still sometimes comes up. I think. But I think it's sort of clear right now that yeah. the, the BC government is entrenched in its position. Okay. It's driving the. It, there's nothing that that Alberta can do right now to try. It seems get the BC government on side. Things couldn't get any worse, basically. Basically, I think that's true. Fair enough. Okay. Well, on that note, I think we should very quickly switch topics. I know that Emma had wanted Janet French to come on and talk about an announcement that David Egan made. So we are just going to get her on really quickly, and then we will go to, of course, good stuff from the gallery. So just one second. Janet is coming in right now. Janet, this is an issue that we've you've been following, Janet, for us, the issue about superintendent's pay. What was the latest this week from the education minister? I'm still adjusting to this new table <laughs> table format of looking sideways. I know. Uh, yeah, so this week what happened was on Monday, the education minister said that he expects on his desk by today, Friday, uh, copies of all superintendent contracts from school boards across Alberta. Uh, and the reason he wants to do that is he wants to do a review of the compensation for all superintendents. Um, he says that this is part, it's sort of a, the next step after some of the look at um, CEO pay in the public sector and the review of the agencies, boards and commissions, top leader executive pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took a little bit longer to get organized, he says, because the, the school boards are another layer of government. So there's some complications and he was trying to figure out how he can do it. See, okay. but, but this is but this is a challenge. I mean, with the with the ABCs, with the agencies, boards, and commissions, the province is the boss of them. So the province can say, "I'm sorry, you can't play the you know the chairman of the gondola marketing board." Uh, <laughs> you know, seven hundred thousand uh, dollars. True obsession comes to light. <laughs> gondola, but, but, gondola, 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 gondola. <laughs> but uh, but if you, I mean, school boards are are autonomous elected bodies if they make stupid decisions to pay their superintendents. Uh, That's uh, up to the voters. Yeah, so (laughs) I I don't know. I mean, Egan has a political problem there, it seems to me. There are a lot of school board 
trustees and superintendents, but school board trustees I've been talking to who are quite concerned about this. Um, superintendents are the only employee of a school board. And um, there's been over the last couple of decades, what some see is an erosion of the autonomy of school boards, that the amount of power, decision-making power they have has been gradually decreasing. And so the, the panic, I think, behind the scenes is that they're concerned that this is a slide into irrelevancy and um, that maybe somebody might come up with the idea like, well, why do we need these school boards anyway? It's just an extra layer and the provincial government controls it all, so let's do away with it. And a recent development in Nova Scotia where they moved to consolidate all seven public school boards into one appointed, government-appointed board to oversee education across the province has them in a real panic. Um, really? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and then Saskatchewan, I think it was last year, the previous year, had also gone through a process where they were looking at consolidating just the public school boards, just 19 public school boards, and leaving the Catholic boards alone, and that politically did not go well. I mean, there it is... did not fly. And, and there is local precedent in the sense that once upon a time we had elected health boards. Right. Uh, they were or elected, they were a mix right. of elected right. and appointed, and then, yeah. you know, and then the province got rid of the autonomous right. health but, boards, but, which weren't, frankly, all that autonomous to But I mean, realistically, so this is a, a worry that some trustees had, but realistically, that's not something that the education minister's signaling right now. He's not signaling that this review of no. superintendent salaries is apropos of anything else other than looking at compensation. No, he's pretty... It, it's usually couched with, I deeply respect the autonomy of school boards. Right. I don't think that's some, it's certainly not a direction he's hinting at mm -hmm. going, I think. Um, but I think the optics of, well, all these other CEOs in the public sector having their pay cut and their golf memberships canceled and so forth. And yet superintendents are out there, some of them earning, you know, very handsome compensation. And, you know, more than, more than MLAs, more than, more than, more than the ministers. prime minister yeah. Yeah. Uh, in some cases. Um, and also uh, the um, prospect of them earning these very large salaries. Uh, it's not sort of publicly, the, the optics are not in line with, with the rest of the public sector. So, okay. um, you know, I, th I think it's a fine balance for him to walk. How quickly is he promising to give information? I mean, if he's asked them all for that very tight time frame to have all their contracts in by today. Yeah, that's a good question. And he's said um, soon. I mean, one of the urgencies, and I've talked to a couple of school boards this week, is that there are five school boards who have tentative contracts sitting on his desk right now for their superintendents. Mm -hmm. So that means that they could be in a bit of a pickle very soon, like uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, Roman Catholic, which is Leduc, Wetasco, and south of Edmonton. They, uh, their superintendent is leaving the post in two weeks. And they can't, David Egan has said he won't sign any more superintendent contracts until the uh, until he sorts out this review. Okay. So, you know, he says it'll be timely. Because he but always has to sign, the education minister always yeah. kind of signed off on them. And that is one as, criticism. As a formality. Yeah, that's one criticism that's been leveled at him as well. You signed all these contracts. You know how much they earn. Why are you now demanding uh. a copy and saying, oh, <laughs> I don't think he's claiming ignorance. Um, I think he's just saying, that he hasn't seen all of them because some course. of them would have been signed by previous education ministers before the NDP was elected. So he'd asked for copies back to 2013. Right. So some of them he's never seen. Um, and, uh, and, and and fair enough, if you don't see them in context, you don't necessarily see the salary creep. If somebody gives you uh, one contract to, as a standalone and you don't see it in, in comparison to the other ones, you might not know if it's out of line or not. Mm -hmm. okay. And the, the bonuses are the... Um, the 
the interesting difference between Alberta, where there's no kinds of regulation on these sorts of salaries, and when I looked at Ontario, uh, for example, which seems to have quite a lot of rules about it, um, is that in Ontario, there's there's limits on things. There's like a, a cap on the um, the total amount you can pay all your uh, senior staff at at a school board. Right. So it's like you have to juggle that within um, the total amount you have to pay all your assistant superintendents and directors and all that kind of business. Oh, it's like a hockey salary. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and in some ways that, that does apply in Alberta. So the maximum you can spend on administration at an Alberta school board is 3.6% of your budget. Uh, but that's on all administrations. So, uh, you know, at a, school a larger school board, there'd be a lot of wiggle room there. Well, so we'll keep an eye on this and see where this goes in coming weeks. Thank you for coming Indeed. in, Janet. Uh, do you want to leave us with the good stuff from the gallery? Because that's where we were headed next. Yes, I read a story that was fantastic in The Atlantic by Michael Gerson. And it was about um, the evangelical movement in the U.S. and how, how did, uh, you know, a, a group or a religion of people who... Uh, are kind of known for being a bit more puritanical, end up propping up this president who is so uncouth, <laughs> hmm. I guess. And uh, it's a really interesting perspective because he said he grew up evangelical and he actually goes back like 150 years to sort of paint, you know, pave this historical path of like, how did we get here? Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Janet. Appreciate it. Paula, what are you going to do for good stuff in the gallery? I'm going to recommend something that's political in a sociological kind of way, and that's a really fascinating new podcast from our former colleague Karen Unland and her daughter Elizabeth called That's a Thing? You have to say it with a question mark at the end. Um, and it is a mother-daughter look at very contemporary uh, digital culture, youth culture. And, and it's extremely funny because Elizabeth, who's a high school student, um, is the most droll and delightful podcast presence as she explains to her mother, who is a, a self-confessed not cool person, all of the things about uh, online culture that her mom does not understand. It's a great and, show. And Karen says, usually like unprompted, that's a thing <laughs> at some point. And as I, I find out listening and walking my dog, I'm saying the same thing, like that. that's a thing, there are a whole there are whole YouTube channels dedicated to that. That's awesome. So it's it's a lot of fun. That's fantastic. I want to throw in a quick recommendation. Um, I want to uh, point out a show that was on, it was a frontline documentary, two parts. Uh, it aired back in October, but I, I think it's worth recommending because it's called, it's called Putin's Revenge. And I have been so glad in the past month that I watched that because it laid out the uh, the backdrop for everything we're seeing right now with uh, the investigation into Russian interference in the U.S. elections, how we got here, and it's really, I felt, set me up with an excellent understanding of what might be going on in Great Britain right now as well <laughs> uh, with the with the uh, attempted assassination of the former, former Russian spies and that sort of thing. So if you want a, better, a good background on Vladimir Putin, who he is, uh, what might be driving and motivating him, I highly recommend that uh, two-part uh, frontline episode. Graham? Um, yeah, speaking of background, this is uh, an article I've sent it to you already. People ask, you know, how much are humans driving climate change? And it's, we are driving, like, we're basically all of it is us. In fact, you can look at articles, analysis saying from 70% to 100, 140% is us. Well, that's just like hockey players. We, we give 140%. And it's, and it's dealing with things like um, there are natural events like 
eruptions of volcanoes actually should be cooling down the climate, but they're not because we're driving it to such a degree. Anyway, there's one article I sent you, and it explains with it's well written best graphs and charts to explain the science behind why experts are saying that we are the major cause, if not the only cause, really, of climate change. Sounds good. Did I, I get you, Claire, too? No, I'm, I, I'm, I'm back. back. So actually, <laughs> Graham is not, you're not the final word. Graham, yeah. Claire will be the final word. And I apologize. I'm, as usual, I know. And I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm going to recommend um, a, actually a Rolling Stone uh, feature, which was really fantastic about the rapper Meek Mill. And it's a really fascinating read. It's um, an interview with him while he's in jail currently. And it's it kind of goes into issues of bias in the U.S. justice system. And then as well, kind of like his... Um, yeah, his background and how he got into becoming a rapper in Philadelphia. And it's just really fascinating, but it kind of gave me a peek into the U.S. justice system and especially kind of um, the difficulties young black men face when they start uh, kind of getting uh, prosecuted for smaller crimes and then going through um, probation issues and stuff. So really interesting. It does sound interesting. I would be loath if one of us did not remind people that they really need to read Paula Simons's uh, piece, a, a package that it'll it's online right now. It'll appear in print and insight in Saturday's edition in the journal on the 20th anniversary of the Delwyn Vreen decision and why that mattered and why it was actually one of the most important Supreme Court cases uh, in terms of equality, specifically LGBTQ equality in Canadian history. It's a must read. I learned, I thought I knew about that case. There is so much I did not know about that case and I'm really glad that Paula took the time to dig into it and share it with us. I'm really glad that you gave me the time and and a lot of and a lot of space in Saturday's paper because there were stories. I mean, I covered that case as as Graham did when it happened, and uh, I learned so much of the the behind the scenes stories that I never knew before. Yeah, thank you everybody for joining me, uh, Claire, Paula, Graham. Thank you for and doing as this. As I awkwardly sat in this. Excellent new configuration, but it's it's, it's a different way of and getting we, to talk we thank, to each we other. And we thank Greg Southam, yes, who filmed yes. this head on. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Although I think I was looking around the whole time. So join us again next week on the Press Gallery when we'll be back with a full Alberta budget breakdown. Just six days, guys, until we see you Budget 2018 so, you're so cute. You I are so, so excited. I put in our embargo, for our, our lockup forms yesterday. Can't wait. Can't wait.